happy tentative um lifting the restrictions day everybody um it's, it's i want to sound optimistic and i think i am optimistic uh, maybe we've gotten lucky and maybe this is it uh, but before we start the podcast i'm giving you a plug to ask you to go and join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise uh if you are listening to this podcast this is our one that martin and vicky conway did uh I think it's 10, 10 days, two weeks ago about Operation Transformation and some of the problematic issues of it. But if you aren't a patron, uh, you have already missed out on our exclusive, uh, how do I put it, uh, Martin and Tony ones. There's been two of those this week. There has been a deep dive into US politics, including um, a huge digression into the movie Don't Look Up with journalist and writer with The Intercept, John Schwartz. Uh, there's also a brand new police uh, out. Police is back, uh, and if you are a patron member, you can go and listen to it now. There's also my conversation with crime correspondent uh, Mick O'Toole, and it goes into some of the difficult cases he's covered, the problems with how people talk about this, these things, the social media commentary versus crime correspondents versus court reporters, issues that I think actually as Mick actually puts it, should be taught in school. Uh, I think it was really, really good. All of those are available right now, including about 700 extra podcasts that we do across the Tortoise Shack. Uh, and all of them are there for the price of a decent cup of coffee, a fancy cup of coffee, shall we say. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. I'll let you enjoy the podcast. But if you if you get a second, click the link on the bottom at the end and you know join us, get, get access to them as they're done. Thanks, folks. Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Vicky Conway. Hello, Vicky. How are you? Hi, Martin. I don't think we've been on a podcast together for a little while. Yeah, it's been a while, and I do enjoy doing podcasts with you, Vicky. Well, it's hard not to enjoy doing them, which you're so good at every subject. Oh, you, just prefer <laughs> when, you just prefer when Tony's not around. Yeah, that is true, too. And we are joined by three guests this evening. We're joined by Sinead Crow, and Sinead Crow is uh, part, or what we say, part, or driver, or boss of Instagram community, Intuitive Eating Ireland. We're joined by Michelle McCormack, who is a fat activist, and we're joined by Joanne Mascal, or sorry, Joe Mascal. Sorry about that, Joe. And Joe is a registered dietitian specializing in eating disorders and particularly specializing in binge eating, Joe. Is that correct? Yep. Hang on. Thanks so much for having me on. That's no problem. And Vicky, will you explain what we're going to discuss? Yeah, we're really delighted to have this panel together because, as I'm sure listeners are aware, there has been quite a bit of controversy in the last couple of weeks with the return of Operation Transformation to our TV screens and people really really trying to raise some awareness on the damage and harm that the show can cause. So, Sinead, can I turn to you first? Um, can you tell us a bit more about what are the concerns people have with Operation Transformation? Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for, a million for having us on and for having this conversation so, yeah, I suppose it was about maybe over a year and a half ago, myself and Joe started discussing ourselves about the concerns that we had. Ultimately, this show is is on its 15th season now. Um, and there are, you know, there's so much evidence around the uh, impact that dieting has on people and that we know that 
dieting is very much, you know, a, a short term, um, you know, results in short term weight loss and, and long term has many negative impacts for, for the people that engage in the disordered eating behaviours, I suppose, that the, the panel are, are recommending and also how this show contributes to weight stigma. And I'm sure we'll get into that more. But, you know, this show, um, you know, we, we need to be looking at how the the impact of the viewers at home when they're watching this show, how that contributes to their own anti-fat bias, um, which is just such a, a huge problem for, for so many people in our society, marginalized bodies. So we need to be really looking into that. And it's just unfortunately we're we're very slow to be acting on it as our government continues to fund this show uh, year in, year out. OK, I think there's like. 10 different points in that. Um, and we're going to, because there is a lot in that, right? There's different perspectives, different audiences watching it and the different impacts it has on them, whether they have disordered eating or not. Um, and you're raising there the point about funding towards the end. So these are all really, really important. Um, Joe, as a dietitian, what, what are the basis for your concerns? Yeah, well, um, I mean, Sinead summarized our, our why for speaking out about operating transformation so eloquently. From a dietetic point of view, my main concern is the increase in eating disorders across the board in Ireland. And I say across the board because I mean all ages, all races, all body types. But when I say the term eating disorders to you and maybe to your listeners as well, you might have a very stereotypical view of what that means. You might think of somebody who is very thin and an emaciated body after having um, intentionally lost a lot of a lot of weight. However, that is not what the real life picture of eating disorders actually is. Eating disorders exist in all body types. And the eating disorder that I specialize in is binge eating disorder. And that is um, the most prevalent eating disorder in Ireland and in the UK. But it is, um, and probably worldwide as well, I just know for sure that um, it is the most prevalent in those two. And the thing is about binge eating disorder is it's very difficult to detect. And it's, it's often interwoven in dieting. There's a statistic that up to 30% of people with binge eating disorder, which remember is an eating disorder as valid as any other eating disorder, 30% of people with this eating disorder are actively seeking weight loss. So it is my worry that people who are struggling with this eating disorder or another eating disorder are watching this show and the interventions on the show are only contributing to their disordered relationship with food. Sorry, Joe, you were saying that it's more widespread than people think. Um, like we don't, I suppose, from my point of view, I wouldn't hear a whole lot of men having dis eating disorders. Is it something that's universal among men as well? Absolutely. It is certainly universal um, across, as I said, across the board. It really is. Anybody can be susceptible to an eating disorder. In men, the official prevalence of eating disorders is about 10% in men, 90% in women. But I know and, you know, any other professional working in eating disorders knows that it is a lot more prevalent than that. It's just harder to detect for many reasons. Firstly, there's such shame associated with any eating disorder. Um, when men present to their GPs, um, they may not be able to verbalize what they're experiencing in terms of their relationship with food or the, or the doctors just don't know to look out for it. And that's definitely the case with binge eating disorder. If somebody in a bigger body comes into your practice, you don't look, you don't look for an eating disorder. You don't expect an eating disorder because of how we are 
taught to think um, in terms of the stereotype. We have a very st- stereotypical view of what an eating disorder is and who suffers from them. And, uh, you know, to, to, to round up your question, it's usually thin white women that you suspect have eating disorders and the rest of the population is ignored. But that doesn't mean the rest of the population isn't affected. And you, even you to... Meant- Sorry. Sorry, go ahead, Sinead. No, I was just going to chime in there to say that I was looking at the BodyWise statistics around Ireland from 2019 and and, and 20, etc. And we can see a marked increase actually in the prevalence amongst men. And it's interesting since the Unspoken documentary aired a number of weeks back, um, the three men that very courageously outlined there and 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 spoke about their um, personal experience. I've had a lot more men reach out in the last couple of weeks, which I find really interesting. I think it's really important that, as Joe said, there's a, a, maybe sometimes a lot more. It's much more difficult for men to to have that conversation. So I, I'm glad to see that it's it's starting. And presumably with the kind of things you're talking about, with the different, you know, let's say binge eating or or not appearing or manifesting in the way that people stereotypically expect, some people may not even realize that their relationship with food will be considered disordered. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Let's look at, you know, let's look at what they even um, they recommend on Operation Transformation. They recommend a really low calorie diet. It's approximately 1500 calories per day. And for like an active, like I'm talking about myself, like an active menstruating female, that is way below what I would require to be able to, to 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 live and survive and thrive. So, I mean, the fact that people can do it short term, which is why people do lose weight short term. But these are like because we're seeing this on like a national program, um, you know, people don't understand that actually a low calorie diet like that, that's 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 quite harmful. Um, so I think many uh, dieting behaviours are normalised and people actually think that they're quote unquote healthy when in fact they're really problematic. Yeah, Sinead, I would kind of agree with that and say that um, this is one of the reasons why weight stigma is so dangerous. Mm. If you think as a bigger person, if you are binge eating and you def- you have binge eating disorder, society is just telling you, you're just fat and you have no willpower and you're lazy and you're disgusting. Um, you're not supported or enabled to think, oh, maybe actually my eating is disordered. And also when we think about, mm-hmm. again, even people who are suffering with anorexia and um, other disordered um, eating in people of larger sizes, that behavior is praised and encouraged um, even when you do seek medical care, even if you attend a dietitian, if the dietitian is not um, aligned to or, or not kind of trained or aligned to, to work with big people in bigger bodies, it'll, you know, it'll just be framed as, ah, sure, you know, you could do with losing a few anyway, you know, keep going. So um, that's uh, while we talk about this, it's important to kind of understand how weight stigma factors into this. Mm. And that is one of the key reasons It completely minimizes weight stigma completely minimizes any kind of eating disorder that a fat person can suffer with because we're either that's either why we're fat and we're just lazy and ignorant or whatever or keep going because that will make you lose weight so you have a situation where a person who is fat is being shamed by society is not being recognized at having you know, a mental illness or anything of 
that description. And then we have a show like this that comes in and just says, you know, eat an unhealthily low amount of food and that'll sort you out. One thing that I've definitely noticed about the um, sort of the coverage of this issue and it's all off the back of the the amazing um, petition that um, Sinead and the Intuitive Eating Ireland community have been pushing for the last few weeks to decommission Operation Transformation is that a lot of the reporting on that has been squarely focused on the um, eating disorder aspect while the petition itself does mention weight stigma as well and it's really interesting to think about how that is a concern that the triggering of eating disorders is a concern but hurting fat people is not because that part has been completely left out of a lot of the reporting about it and uh, somebody who was DMing me about it put it really succinctly and it was they said something like oh this behavior is bad and could trigger eating disorders but it's okay for fat people to do it because they're fat and they need to lose weight so ask, it's, when you put it in those terms it's really stark can I ask a question Anna it's a bit more open do you think that our history in Ireland where shame is such a uh, a, a weapon to be used against people. Do you think that gives rise to a program like this where we accept that it's okay to shame people? Mm, that's interesting. I definitely think that the the concept of Operation Transformation was probably uh, came off the back of a, a show like The Biggest Loser in the US, which had great success and was ultimately cancelled. But um, I definitely do think there's a very Irish way of kind of looking at weight loss and that that's for your own good. And even the theme of the show was quite, you know, tough love. Um, but yeah, that sort of shame, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an Irish thing. Weight stigma is definitely a global thing. And I would nearly say it's newer to us here um, in Ireland than anywhere else, because we're not that many generations removed from people not having enough to eat. That's a good point. That is certainly a good point. Sinead. Joanne wanted to come in there. Sorry, Joanne. Sorry, Joe. Come in. Sorry. I just wanted to add to um, Michelle's very valid point and, and your question um, about shame. You know, you have to um, put put Operation Transformation into a broader context here. It's been on our TV since 2008. This is, as Sinead said, this is the 15th season. And a lot has emerged in research in those 15 years regarding weight stigma, regarding the fact that shame is no longer, or, you know, it probably never was, but it was just, it was just never studied. Shame is not a valid tool to quote unquote, motivate somebody into weight loss. And in fact, it has the opposite effect. When you shame somebody into, into changing their behavior, into, um, you know, into, into, in this case, uh, trying to lose weight, it's sometimes, and many times, it has the opposite effect. It pushes people further away from wanting to assume um, behaviors that would be congruent with weight loss, such as, you know, increasing activity or um, taking care to improve sleep, um, you know, eating more fruit and vegetables, that kind of thing. So this is one key message that your listeners take from this show. It's that shame is not a motivator to lose weight. And since 2008, since this show has emerged, um, there's been a lot of research to back that up. Operation Transformation is incredibly outdated um, and their approach is 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 wrong in, in so many ways. Yeah, and mm. I think it's... I totally it's really, agree. Sorry, go ahead. 
I totally agree with Joanne. I mean, if if shame worked to motivate people to lose weight, there wouldn't be any fat people anymore because the shame that is heaped upon us is so great. It's never ending. It comes from everywhere. If it worked, it would be working. It doesn't work. And and shame is pretty integral to the show. I mean, the way that people are brought out to do the weigh in and in the way they're dressed for that and all of that, it does feel really integral. And in fact, I was talking to a friend about this the other day and she was like, I mean, it's always great. It always motivates me in January to do something. But then within a couple of weeks, I'm just feeling guilty because I haven't seen it through. Um, and, so you know, or people feeling worse about themselves as a result of watching that show. I was interested. I know that. Um, it, you were in contact with the department and they discussed some research that they had done around the impact um, of Operation Transformation. Sinead, could you talk us through what they suggested their findings were and how you feel about those? Yeah, so um, when I first spoke to, I suppose, the VIP Productions uh, and RTE, they told me that they had a conducted this survey. So, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I know how to really read research. I mean, I could gloss over it, but I got, I, we did have somebody, um, a doctor in health science review this survey. Uh, and there are many issues with it. I mean, the the questions and how, like, I mean, look at there's lots of ways you can manipulate a survey to give you results that you, that you uh, are hoping will be outlined. It's not, they didn't conduct, conduct adequate research on the leaders that are involved or or the wider public. I mean, um, we know that the, the survey, I think, was was uh, conducted a week after the show uh, aired and finished or whatever. So, I mean, like that really is giving us no insight into how people were impacted six months later, a year later. I mean, I so the show has been running for, this is the 15th year, and out of the past 14 se- seasons, I have personally spoken to nine participants that's a lot of people out of that 14 shows and every one of them have been harmed by this show uh, whether it was their relationship with food they described feeling socially like feeling socially anxious anxious afraid to go out into their community socially withdrawn felt really ashamed about gaining back the weight. Some people gained back the weight and a lot more weight after that, which we know was the the research around dieting is that over 80% of people uh, within the kind of two to five year period will have gained back more weight than with what they started off with. So there's so many issues at play here that are that are just literally been brushed under the carpet and they continue to tell us that it's going to improve public health when in fact we have zero, zero research to back that up. And the survey they have mm. referenced is actually quite pathetic. And I'm surprised that it was uh, it was sufficient to secure half a million euro worth of funding when our services such as ED services and the fact that weight stigma is a, 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 such a prevalent issue in society that needs to be addressed. I mean, there's so many campaigns that could be that money could have been used for. And now it's just uh, it's just peddling more harm this year. Yeah, when you look, um, that's a really repeated theme across all sort of um, weight loss research and literature. And I'm sure as Tons of examples of this as the the actual um, qualified uh, person on panel. Um, but the the type of like um, diet research that's done, success is measured by did the people lose weight or not. And actual, so, so the aim of the diet is to improve health, but they don't measure health. Operation transformation is not measuring are these people healthier than when they started. It's measuring are these 
thinner than when they started. And most research into dieting does exactly the same thing. They don't actually measure for health. They only measure for weight as a proxy for health. And that is really the very core of one of the cores of what weight stigma is. It takes weight and completely sees it as equivalent to health when that is just not the case. It's They're not equal. It's not an adequate proxy at all. And um, it's a very problematic concept to equate those things. I think that's an excellent point, Michelle. I think that's a really, really excellent point. And I think as for the the statement from the Department of Health, I think that pretty much puts paid to the Department of Health. If your measurement is weight loss, well, then your funding is for weight loss. It's not for better health outcomes. So I think that's a, a very salient point. What needs to be done with Operation Transformation and other shows like it as well? Well, I think that this year, I and I watched the last, I mean, it's hard to comment on it without watching it, right? So I did have to force myself to watch it last week. And I mean, they they, they made some changes, right? So what I, we did notice is that alongside the weight loss goal for each, uh, I suppose, leader, they kind of gave them another um you know, go alongside that. So whether it was kind of reducing smoking or whether it was reducing screen time or, uh, you know, working on blood pressure and go back to the GP about that. So they're, they're trying to camouflage it as if it's actually more about health uh, and less about weight loss. But as long as there is a focus on weight loss, we still have the same statistics, the same harm, the same research to say that it's problematic. So really what it needs to do is, yes, uh, you know, if they want to educate the public on on, on health and health promoting behaviours, amazing. They can do that. They can do that safely without causing any harm. If they focus on health promoting behaviours, educating around nutrition, um, you know, movement, sleep hygiene, stress management, the list goes on. Uh, and they can do all of that without pu- putting people on a scale and having them follow a really, really rigid diet. But the funny thing is, Sinead, is that nobody would watch that show. Like the public's fascination is with fat Absolutely. people getting thinner. Nobody yeah, would watch that show. And that's why that Operation yeah. and Transformation will never get rid of the weighing part because that's the draw. So in my opinion, what should be done with it is that it should be put in the bin. In the bin. It absolutely should. Because actually, <laughs> I, I didn't realise, but a couple of years ago, uh, RTE did run a show that wasn't about weight loss. And they did, I don't even know, did they... Um, uh, get how many episodes they done because nobody was watching it and you're right Michelle without the kind of wow transformation and people buy into all of the emotional uh, components to each person's story I mean if you watch last week's uh, show there was really like heartfelt really difficult uh, experiences that these leaders described so the public buy into that person's story they get behind that person and they want to follow the transformation, there's this illusion that at the end, this person is just going to walk through the door of health and their life is going to be amazing. And and that's just not the case. So, you know, I think you're right, Michelle, they need to bin it. I'm even uncomfortable with that, like this point about, you know, getting into the backstories and these like sad stories that people have to tell. Like it's very exploitative of people's lives and their trauma and their issues. But is that not a format that's used? I mean, that's used in the X Factor. That's used in mm. in so many different programs. Is you know, it's it's used in Big Brother. It's used in all these different formats. Is that not a failing of us as people? Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, it's certainly a good point, Brian. I think that 
you know, yeah, it's how they hook people in, you know, because people at home can usually relate in some capacity to one of these stories, at least in some way. But I mean, I like I, I do work in mental health and I have huge issue around how uh, sensitive and difficult and re-traumatizing it could be. I mean, when we talk about opening up and speaking about past pain, uh, it's really important that that's a really safe space. Uh, like, you know, th- that usually you're in some kind of a therapeutic engagement with a qualified professional, uh, one-to-one, etc. Now, I've heard from people that have been in the circle of trust, what they do with uh, the psychologist there, um, and not the leaders themselves, but other people that have just not made the final or the final uh, six leaders or whatever, but have been in the circle of trust and a lot of them have walked away and they've needed in-depth therapy afterwards. Like the whole the whole experience, I just would have a lot of questions about how ethical it is to to put people through that. But it's more than that as well, because like the difference, Martin, between this and things like the X Factor is, as Sinead has pointed out, the state is funding this. So in the last two years, they have put up, is it about 280,000 per year, you know, funding of this show. So that's a very different situation when the state is actually funding um, this, you know, this harmful kind of thing. I mean, I'm and we put that in the context where you are directly talking about what is for some people a serious health issue. And we don't even have, you know, enough beds or centers or supports for people with disordered eating. I mean, I'm I've followed quite a few people on Instagram with various mental illness issues. And, you know, I'm thinking of this one young girl who is going to her doctor and being told, no, you know, your weight is fine. It's not that big an issue. You don't need intervention. Um, So like in that context, it's so much more toxic, I suppose, than something like X Factor. Joe, you're nodding away there. Yeah, we've got got, like we've got such little beds uh, in Ireland available. But as Michelle highlighted earlier, then you've got the additional problem of people that, um, you know, are are not able to access them services because they're not low enough in the BMI scale. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so there's just there's so many issues, really. I want to just make a a point um, to add to Martin's questions about is this what they do in the X Factors, what they do in Big Brother? The thing is, you have to remember that when people are watching Operation Transformation, the they're trying. Like, Operation Transformation is trying to get their viewers to embark on the same practices. Mm. Uh, you know, an X Factor. What are they doing? Like trying to trying to make you take up singing, or you know, it, it's it, it, it's not the same. And and you know, this is a point that is not is not um, talked about enough. Dieting is not a benign endeavor. It's not something that you can just do and just. You know, have a nice time when you're doing it and stop when you're done and, you know, live then a happy life. It is not like that. Dieting is one of the main risk factors for eating disorders and it should be taken very lightly. And then to also to add to that, you know, on the, the point of weight stigma, because, you know, this weight stigma is one of the overarching, you know, problems with operation transformation that we need to continue to highlight. Weight stigma is 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 encouraged we're encouraged to discriminate on people based on their weight by watching the show so if you say if you are in a, a smaller body in like a straight size body and you're watching this show with your relative who's in a bigger body the 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 the, the subtext there is that the person in the bigger body then needs to start thinking about losing weight and oh i'm being judged because i look like that i should be up there going on the scales 
So, you know, th th this show, Operation Transformation, is not a benign show, even though it's portrayed as just being, you know, a lovely thing that comes out every January. It's really not. It's really problematic on so many levels, which I hope that we're, you know, picking apart here. Yeah. And the thing about weight stigma as well, as with all forms of like social uh, stigma and oppression, it's a health risk factor if if you live in a marginalized body so you know race and gender have an impact on your health because of the way our you know patriarchal systems of medicine are built and science was built around you know male white male bodies and everything that we know about the human body is mostly based on that quite old science and um, wait if you're looking to improve someone's health shaming them and, and and perpetuating weight stigma is doing the exact opposite of that. There's actually some studies coming out now to say that all of the adverse effects that are purported to come from weight gain um, or are correlated with excess weight, shall we say, could also be attributed to stress and weight stigma. So it's, as Joe says, it's not benign at all. It is a problem. And if you're purporting to care about the health of someone in a bigger body, shaming them is not something that you should be doing. And encouraging them to diet is also not something that you should be doing because that is damaging to your health too. Weight cycling is very damaging to your health. Thanks for that contribution, Michelle. Joe, um, I've just come to a final point for me. I know Vicky has, has a bit to go yet, but a final point for me. You said that our concept of a person with a weight disorder is a thin white lady um, who's, who probably diets too much or doesn't eat properly. What is the actual reality? What does a person with a, a weight issue or with a, a, an eating disorder look like? That's 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 my point. Is you just there is no there is no look. Everybody can suffer, and they do affect everybody really across the board of all ages. I've worked with very, very young people and I've worked with very old people well into their 80s who are still struggling with, with eating disorders. So we just can't say, and that is that is the point. It could be, it could be anybody. And just because somebody isn't losing weight doesn't mean that they don't have an eating disorder. You know, not all eating disorders result in weight loss. For example, binge eating disorder um, and bulimia nervosa as well is one that... Um, weight loss is not associated with. Thanks, Joe. Can I come in there? Because, um, I mean, what Michelle was saying there about like the emerging evidence around, you know, what's actually causing issues with our health and so on. I mean, I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are sitting here going, but, but, you know, being overweight is associated with, you know, heart disease, with liver issues, with X, Y, and Z um, health problems, because that has been utterly drilled into us, right? Since like we're five years old in school and we've got the pyramids on the, on the, on the walls and all the rest of it. What is a healthy approach to eating then if we're, mm. if, if somebody is concerned about physical health issues? So I'll let Joe come in to talk about the healthy approach to eating because she's obviously the one to talk about that. But I just want to pick out something that you said. And what you said was that um, d diseases or sicknesses that greater weight is associated with. Mm. Because that's really key here. There is no disease that only fat people get. 
Slim people get high cholesterol. Slim people have heart attacks. Slim people get type 2 diabetes. All of these health aspects that are correlated with a higher weight. Yes, they're correlated with a higher weight, but they are a result of behaviors that people in all bodies do. And there are other factors that that determine your weight, such as genetics, social status, education, lots of things like that, that you can't just blanket sort of say, oh, well, bigger people are more likely to have a heart attack. So that's where we're going to put all our resources. And one framework for that is health at every size, which uh, adopts an approach which says everybody at every size can pursue health and we don't have to make weight a factor in uh, advocating healthy behaviors so I don't know Joe if you like, kind of want to talk about I just want to say like, behaviors might be. like but even before we go on to that I think that is such a key point and that is such a like a reprogramming for so many people isn't it because it just as I say it's drilled into us the other way uh, and to accept that that you know association you know correlation is not causation and you know there are so many other factors at play is a really big thing I think for all of us to get our heads around and we're so used to hearing Vicky like the conversation around quote-unquote obesity and I do that because it's a really harmful stigmatizing uh, term but I think that as Michelle said there all of the research around obesity is needs to be further examined because what they do what doesn't what isn't confounded for is the impact of weight stigma with all of these research studies, mm. they don't confound for, for weight stigma, the imp- the stress on the individual that's living in a society that uh, discriminates against their body and how weight cycling and eating disorders is often not factored into the research. So until that's done, they cannot say that, you know, X body weight is going to result in X disease. Yeah, it's not as simple as that. Even okay. something as simple as stress is is very rarely controlled for in these studies. They'll control for whether you're a smoker or a drinker or your age or your sex or your race. But even something and everybody experiences stress. Stress is a is a huge health risk. But there are all sorts of factors that they don't control for in these studies, which means that we just don't know why people are fat. We don't know why people are fat. We don't. But there's another interesting bit of data that shows that the obesity epidemic or the increase in people's weights very much coincides with the start of sort of diet culture post-war mm-hmm. which lends itself to the idea that dieting causes weight gain so the more that you pressure someone in a bigger body to lose weight the bigger they'll be and the more that that's a universal thing the bigger people will be overall now that's not hard science it's a concept that's being explored but Okay, and so maybe drawing this to a close, Joe, if we want to have that healthy relationship with food, how how best do we go about that? I think that the first the first thing is, you know, everybody on an individual basis is to ask yourself and reject everything that's been portrayed to us, reject everything that is, you know, been subjected to us um, regarding how we should be eating, and just do a little check in with yourself and ask yourself. Are you happy with your relationship with food? Are you able to eat your meals, enjoy them, and then move on with your day without thinking about food until you're hungry again? Or is food taking up your all your headspace or a great majority of your headspace so much that you can't think about anything else, that you can't think about you know, your family, your friends, your work, your hobbies, because you're just so consumed by thoughts of food and eating? If so, I would encourage anybody to seek out 
support for intuitive eating. And again, this is on an individual basis, but perhaps a good first step would be to um, find Sinead's community, the Intuitive Eating Ireland community. Um, I think I'll pass over to Sinead if, if that's okay for her to describe what intuitive eating is on a on a, a deeper level. Oh, well, thank you for saying that, Joe. Uh, I hope the community is a support to people that are trying to find, I suppose, food freedom and really have a peaceful relationship with food. And I think Again, it comes back to it's it's all, all we hear about. It's all about the food. Like what's as important as the, the broccoli and the fish on your plate is your relationship to that food. And I think making peace with all foods is just such a key step. And I think that like there's a full framework. The intuitive eating framework is, is complex. There's a lot. There's lots of information in it. I'm not going to be able to summarize it now, but it's a, a self-care framework, like a mind body um, you know, framework that out there's 10 principles that that guide us through how we unlearn all of the messaging that we've heard from diet culture. This food is bad, that food is good, all of that. Um, all of the nonsense around counting calories and eating a low calorie diet and all of these things, rejecting all of that message. And instead, instead of looking uh, outside of ourselves for how to fuel our bodies, we learn how to uh, find that information inside of ourselves because our body does know what it needs in order to feel uh, nourished. I mean, we, we know from the minute we come out of the womb, we know how to source food. We know how to, to get that milk. And we, we, we lose that, uh, we lose that along the way somewhere, usually because of some outside source, a parent, a teacher, a doctor making a comment about what we're eating or that we shouldn't eat that or we should be eating this. Uh, and that brings us away from trusting our body. But you can absolutely relearn that. And I've, I've relearned that after 20 years of dieting. So it's never too late. I have women in our community that are in their 60s, 70s, as Joe said, 80s, like it's just incredible that are now uh, finding food freedom. So any of us can do it at any point. It's so possible to do that. I'm already clapping myself because I said about having a healthy relationship with food and I so much prefer how you expressed it, a peaceful relationship with that food and that idea of conflict, the internal conflict that goes on in our heads around, you know, what we're eating and our bodies and all of that. So that's... Yeah, awesome. I think, yeah, even just to, to say, Vicky, like, you know, the, the framework is, uh, uh, there's a full principle on gentle nutrition. You know, I just want to, sometimes there's, there's a lot of misconceptions around intuitive eating that it doesn't care about food. You can eat whatever you want, whatever you want. It's there's a it's it's more nuanced than that. Of course, uh, adequate nutrition is important, and you know Joe is the expert to talk about that individually. But I think, you know, it's important to say, of course, um, of course, food matters, but it's really important that uh, our relationship to that food is in a really good place. Otherwise, we're eating from a place of stress and usually misery, and that's definitely not going to be good for our health. And Vicky, oh, sorry, Michelle. Oh, sorry, Joe. Vicky, what you said about health as well, you sort of corrected yourself. And, and that's actually really good and really important as well, because health is not a moral obligation or a societal imperative. It's very personal. And you can choose at certain points of your life to prioritize or not prioritize your health. And that's your choice. And it's up to you. Also, health is a privilege that not everybody is afforded. There are a lot of people who through circumstance or genetics or accident or whatever do not and will never have access to what we term as good health and those people deserve the same access to resources the same level of respect the same everything as somebody who is 
healthy. We shouldn't be making value judgments on people based on whether or not they are healthy or whether they are pursuing health, because that is how we, that that's a form of discrimination. Um, and that's why a lot of fat phobia and ableism are very sort of tied together because um, you can see people saying, oh, but it's not healthy and you can't be healthy at this size. You can't be healthy at that size. Well, so what? So what if I'm not healthy? That's none of your business. You still have to respect me. And just because I'm not healthy doesn't mean you get to put me on television in my underwear and shout at me because I had a cake, you know? Joe, we'll leave the last word to you, Joe. About um, Sinead's brilliant description of intuitive eating, I think it's important for your listeners to know that intuitive eating is not a nebulous concept. It's it's not something that Sinead has come up with by herself or that you know that we've come up with together. Intuitive eating is um, a really well studied concept in the research. It was first developed in the mid nineties by two dietitians in the states, and since the mid nineties, the research on it has grown and grown that it is a very healthy approach to. To, sorry, it's a very it's a very healthy approach to improving your relationship with food, and I say healthy because there's no dieting involved, there's no um, listening to external sources involved. It's all about you tapping into your own connection with yourself and your body, and choosing foods that feel good to you in that moment. So just to to reiterate that it is um, it's a valid concept studied in research. It's not something that we have just no, plucked out of the air. I'm so I'm so glad you you added that in, Joe, because I never even mentioned Evelyn Triboli and Lise Resch, the two dietitians that I mean, obviously put all of this work work together many decades ago. It certainly was it certainly wasn't something that we came up with. I wish I didn't have wouldn't have the brains to do that. Folks, I think that's a great place to leave this, and wouldn't we all love to have that really good relationship with food? I know I would for certain. Michelle, thank you very much. Sinead, thank you very much. And Joe, thank you very much for having this discussion with us. Vicky, thanks for coming along and co-hosting with this with me. As you said, I learned a lot and it is so much nicer without Tony. <laughs> thanks again. We'll be back in your feed soon. Tortoise Shack, have a good day. <laughs>